are listening to The Gamer Node Show. This is episode 67. I'm your host, Eddie Inzato, editor-in-chief of GamerNode.com, and I'm here once again with Bianca Figueroa Santana. How's it going? I'm doing all right. How are all you? right. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm doing great. Uh, we're talking about a game that I'm pretty excited to talk about. Well, at least it's an exciting game to play because it's uh, one of my favorites. It's one of your favorites. Oh, it's you've been hands down one of my favorites. You've been pestering me to get this one talked about on the podcast, and you know I have no objections to that. So here it is. We're talking about Suburbia today, a Bezier Games published, Ted Allspack designed, city building game, originally released in 2012, a winner of the Menza Select Award, and I'm sure some other awards. I mean, it's totally award worthy. Uh, We love it. I love it. You love it? Oh, I I adore it. Yeah. Really good game. So, um, I guess, I guess just the general overview of how the game is played. Um, it's a tile-laying game where each player has their own suburb of a greater city, and you're purchasing tiles which represent different housing and, and zoning types in a city, industrial, governmental, residential, and commercial areas or buildings in a city, and they come out on this housing market. Each one has a cost and also a market value adjustment based on the order in which they've come out of the general supply. And you're, you're taking turns purchasing those and adding them to your own personal tableau of hex tiles and you're earning points, and I guess not just points, but you're increasing your city's income and reputation, which affects your money supply and your population, which is your final victory point measure of the population, uh, with each placement based on what tiles you place, where you place them, what's next to them. There are I mean, the game's all about these adjacency bonuses and also bonuses for what is generally in your suburb, and even what is generally in every suburb on the table. So there's a lot to pay attention to, and a lot of interaction between tiles as they come out and are placed anywhere on the table. It's just really wonderful. Um, A great degree of variance between the, the types of tiles, and with so many different tiles of all these different types, with different characteristics based on those types, like generally you'll have uh, more income producing tiles of a certain type, better reputation producing tiles of another type, and then they have this sort of seesaw balance between those, you know, one goes up, the other generally goes down for the most part. It makes the game so interesting each time you play it because you're you're always getting different tiles coming out at different times and really there are so many tiles in the game that you're not even using them all each time so what comes out and how you choose to react to what's coming out has a great effect on how successful you're going to be building your city and and earning that income and earning that reputation and it's just, it's always really a great time because you feel like you have to really try something new 
with each game. You know, you have to really respond to what the game is throwing at you, and it never feels like, well, this is how I play the game. You know, sometimes, right. I, I mean, I went to a board game night recently where one of the guys there told me, okay, this is how I win the game every time. I play this strategy, I always go for this result, mm-hmm. I build these buildings, and I rack up the points, and that's it. And I'm like, oh, well, then why, then why do I want to play? And then, you know what, he said, when we started the game, he said, I'm going to tell you how, to, how I win. And I was like, okay. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I'll try that. I did it, and I won. And I was like, well, that's pointless. It's just a prescribed strategy to win, and I hate that. My hypothesis is that's the reason that it's a Mensa Select game, because you can't... um, I'm I'm thinking of games like Bora Bora, where what I liked about it is, oh, I can just specialize in one thing, like you were just saying. Uh And this, there's so many moving pieces, and you can't ignore any of them. And I think that's what really makes it intellectually stimulating. Yeah. Yeah, and and I guess your favorite part, the goal tiles, kind of direct each game in a different way because you have all the players around the board looking at these goal tiles that come out onto the housing market to show you what you're going to earn bonus population for at the end of the game, and you have everyone kind of trying to go for that. And then you have everyone kind of trying to go for their own secret tile that they have chosen. Um, so tell us, tell us how the goals really work. Maybe give us some examples. There are two types of goals, as you sort of sketched out. There are private goals and there are public goals. And your private goals, of course, are secret. And what happens is you get two goal tiles at the beginning of the game. You look at both and you pick one, whichever one you. But whichever one you like better that day, whichever one is more interesting to you. Um, so for example, let me give some concrete examples. Um, if you have the fewest commercial buildings, you are the socialist and you get plus 10 points at the end of the game. Um, if you have the fewest houses or residential tiles, you're the capitalist and you get plus 20 points at the end of the game. Uh, so those are just some examples. And there are, as Eddie said, public tiles, so all of the players can see them and you're sort of vying for them over the course of the game because they're only tallied at the end. Um, right, and you're, you, it's a competition. Exactly. It's the winner, the one who has the highest or the lowest or the fewest or whatever they get that bonus and no one else does. Right, and if there's a tie, the two people who tie get nothing. Boom. Um, Yeah. I like the gold tiles because uh, I think I am perpetually destined to lose this game every time I play it. I think, but I think this is this says something about how great of a game it is because even though I, I pretty much lose every time, I still play it. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that it's a men's select and I lose every time gives me a little bit of a complex, but let's put that aside. So oh. the reason I like the gold tiles is that when I get a 20-point bonus at the end, that's huge for me because if I'm behind in population, that's that allows me to potentially win. Um, and the gold tiles for everybody, allow you to come up from behind. And you don't really know until the end who's doing well based on the goal tiles because you don't know who's achieving what. Um, yeah, I mean, their their goals are secret to everyone. Exactly. exactly. I guess so I just kind of assume that they're going to get it. Like, I assume that everyone else is going to get an average of 15 points thrown on at the end. Yeah, uh, except for when you sabotage... <laughs> 
<laughs> unintentionally sabotage my goals. Uh, but yeah, I have a knack for for building exactly what Bianca is trying to achieve the highest or most of yeah. uh, in her city and like just unrelentingly put down those types of tiles. I think it happened twice it recently. Did. Like it did. kind of in a row. It's kind of it frustrating. Did. But it was uncanny. The first time I thought he was cheating, but not really because you're not the type of person who cheats. Yeah, one thing that, that's a little problematic about these goal tiles though is that you can end up with a personal goal that is essentially the opposite of one of the public goals. So, you know, you, you may want the highest income based on the public goal that you're fighting against everyone for. And then your personal goal might be lowest income. And so one way or the other, you're losing out on 15 population at the end of the game. And, and that kind of sucks. I mean, the fact that you can choose one out of the two in the beginning of the game is a, a great measure to combat that. But every once in a while, you'll get the two that match the, the two or three that are out there, and it's going to suck. I guess it can go two, three, or four based on how many players. So another interesting thing about the game is that the building tiles come out into the housing market bit by bit, and they're arranged in stacks that you're drawing from, and there's an A stack, a B stack, and a C stack for the early game, middle game, and late game, and the way that they are designed, and the way that they interact with other tiles, and their cost, etc., really works well and, and kind of pushes the game along at a good pace, because, you know, the early tiles are good for when you're just trying to get yourself set up. The middle tiles let you start to develop that engine and those late game tiles really let you realize the full potential of what the game has to offer. And you'll see that each game kinda has this trend of, you know, starting out slowly and then really ramping up and getting more exciting as you play because each player is starting to see the benefits of what they've built and really start to earn more money and earn a better reputation which increases their population and it's just really wonderful to to see each of your cities no matter how different they may be between players and even from game to game on your own um, it's just it's just so awesome to to feel that you know I, you I love, love to it. design your cities. It's it's funny <laughs> because at the beginning of pretty much every game, you are like, okay, this is what my city is going to be like this time. And you have like a different theme. Like, oh, I'm going to have a lot of parks and it's going to be a lot of nature-themed environmentally stuff. Or the time that I built all of the factories. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's terrible. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's, a, it's another good way to like entertain yourself while playing the game. But while also testing out a different and equally viable strategy. There's so many different ways to play this game and be successful. I mean, as evidenced by my everlasting victory in every game we ever... No. <laughs> That's not true. There's been at least one time that I won. <laughs> Why don't we just talk about some of the interactions between the tiles to sort of illustrate... Um, how that is the crux of the game. Yeah, sure. For example, like an airport near a residence decreases your reputation. And um, 
a factory near a residence decreases your reputation, or a community park increases your reputation but decreases <laughs> your, your income. income. Yeah, that's something. And it's that, all very realistic. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. I love the fact that it is really well thought out and it makes sense. So, the movie theater, for example, you get plus one income for every residential tile that's adjacent. That makes perfect sense. People like movie theaters. It's, it's something people like to do. Um, so that's really, I, I just really like that. Or the warehouse, for example, you get plus two income for each adjacent commercial space. And so it's all just so realistic. Um, and I really like that. Yeah, and we could, wait, I mean, we could list, I don't know, dozens of these types of interactions. But suffice it to say, they're all super sensible <laughs> and and well thought out and impressive like they they all work really well as a whole like the playtesting of this game must have been extensive um and and sometimes you just see it and it kind of like makes you smirk like oh yeah that makes sense like my um, least favorite tile like oh and i don't know if that's smirk kind of makes you like grimace it kind of yeah. makes me irate but the uh, the housing project. Yeah, the housing projects, which reduce your reputation if they're near anything but an industry, industry, but gives you tons of population. Right. Yeah. And we argue back and forth about whether that's a commentary on, on society and how crappy it is. I have to say it is, because <laughs> the game is brilliant. So well, I like to think that games should be aspirational, and so therefore... And also, kids play this game. Why do you want them learning that? That's messed up. What's wrong with people who live in housing projects? Nothing. No. What's your favorite tile? My favorite tile. Oh, actually, this, I, this brings up a, a good point about the game. A, an interesting mechanic. Um, I like the casino a lot. So it reduces your reputation initially, kind of by a fair chunk, but the benefit is that you don't lose income as your population grows. So on the scoring track, which measures your suburb's population, there are designated points at which you, you cross a red line on the scoring track, and that indicates that you have to reduce both your income and your reputation, which are tracked on your personal board, by one as you pass them. And that represents your city requiring more monetary resources as it grows in population and also suffering the consequences of perhaps a, a little bit of overpopulation as you get bigger. So it's like growing pains uh, for your suburb. Mm -hmm. So each time you pass these red lines, you reduce those. Um, and that prevents a player from really overbuilding or overproducing population early to try to get a head start because that hurts you. You're going to end up with negative income or with negative reputation as you go. But the casino, it prevents the income from reducing when you pass those population milestones. And there's a similar one, the, the PR firm, where your income still reduces, but your reputation stays up. 
you know, PR firm. <laughs> yeah. So good. And I think this, these two, the casino and the PR firm, illustrate something interesting and concrete in a concrete way in terms of the different strategies that you can use. So let's say your goal is to have the most civic buildings. Uh, you're going to get a lot of reputation, but your income is going to plummet because you're spending all your money on building governmental buildings. So the fact that you have the casino, for example, that is going to keep you from losing income is going to make your governmental strategy work. Whereas as conversely, if you are a capitalist with a few government buildings, your reputation will be relatively low, but you will have a ton of cash. So buying the PR firm will be worth it because it's going to allow you to boost your reputation. So that's just an example of how strategies can differ and interact with other with other tiles. Yeah, and once again, awesome. awesome. <laughs> that's my full my full Definitely. response to that. Um, which is which is generally my opinion of the game. Um, Can we talk about my favorite tile? Oh sure. Well, oh that's why you asked me. Yeah. Got it. Well, my favorite tile has to be the law office. Oh, for, for from the reasons. expansion. Yes. So this is from the expansion. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's not really that amazing. I just like it. No, it is amazing. This is another one of the. I think the two that we mentioned and this one are super powerful. The scoring a tie, yeah, yeah, but there's also like one of whatever. Um, I can't remember, so I'm not gonna digress. But that's true. Scoring a tied goal is uh, is crucial. Um, although it's somewhat useless when nobody's close to tying you. Right. I mean, you still get two income. But yeah, if you have the law office, if you are tied with any number of other players for one of the goals, you get all the points. They get nothing. Great, great tie. But there are a few of them. There are yeah. two law office tiles, which is crazy. Um, I guess this should bring us to the expansion, Suburbia Inc., uh, which we recently added to the game, and does nothing but good for the game. You know, the, the base game is great as it is, but the Suburbia Inc. expansion adds a bunch more tiles, which gives you a lot more of that diversity. Everything is well-balanced still. Um, it gives you a couple of new options, like that. that law office is a unique sort of interaction and then there's like the redevelopment planner which is the only black tile all the others are color-coded but this one's a unique kind you buy it early on for for not much money and then later on you can just pull any tile off the board for free, for free. and replace that one with it which is cool just another cool little mechanic that's um, actually my favorite tile I just said the law office because I'm a lawyer but the redevelopment planner is actually my favorite yeah tile. I've never been able to buy the redevelopment planner <laughs> oh, wow. Suburbia Inc. also adds border tiles, which are awesome, speaking of tiles oh, we love. Um, and these, instead of being small hex tiles, they're about the length of four hex tiles. Four hex tiles can attach to them. They're sort of like a sawtooth pattern. And what they do is change the shape of your city. They'll give you a whole different path to build off of and you're getting pretty big bonuses for a lot of them because a lot of them are pretty expensive. Um, and they're just wonderful. The The art on them is cool. They represent large features mm -hmm. and, and places that you might find in a city, like an amusement park or a national park or mountains or an orchard <laughs> or a radioactive waste site. Yeah. That one's crazy. You lose seven population for every adjacent building every adjacent anything but you get five income and five income 
is a lot because you max out at 15 on both income and reputation. And so when these, you're getting big bonuses like right. that, it's it's legit. So you need some sort of balance. And these interactions are sort of almost like super-powered interactions because they just have... Like, for example, the mountains will give you plus two reputation for each of any zoning type. Um, so industrial, civic, residential, or commercial. Whereas in the base game, um, the tiles are usually interact more modestly. So a tile, a commercial tile, will only give you a benefit if it's next to another commercial tile. Um, whereas the borders really do increase your ability to rack up reputation and, and money. Yeah, and I think another aspect that makes them seem more powerful than maybe they really are is the fact that when you place a border tile, you can set it up so that they it is instantly touching four tiles a lot easier than with the hex tiles because you, you, you rarely put down a hex and have it touching more than three. Like, you don't leave a space that's sort of mostly enclosed and then put a tile in the middle, well, usually. Well, You can. This is apparently a strategy that many people use. I've read about it online and trying to, you know, get better at the game, but... Okay. Just saying. Okay, it's to make your, <laughs> your regular tiles sort of have that same effect. Yeah, when you're banking on a specific tile, though, so that's the difficult... Yeah. Yeah, so again, I mean, she's reading strategies online. This is clearly a game that has a depth of play that is not staggering, but impressive for sure. Absolutely. Um, I think one thing we just wanted to also add is the, in Suburbia Inc., again, great, great expansion, it also adds things called bonuses and challenges, which are kind of like mini goals. They are available for every player in the game, to benefit from mm -hmm. so long as they've completed a certain requirement by the time the bonus tile comes out which is once you move from the A stack to the B stack and then again by the time the challenge tile comes out which is once you move from the B stack to the C stack so you all share in that bonus and it's usually a reputation bonus or a yeah. uh, an income bonus That's what and those are great it from the other Goals. Yeah, and the important thing about those is that you really have to look at what those bonuses and challenges are and decide whether it's worth it to go for that at that time. Because sometimes, you know, a, a bonus tile may say have a certain number of residential tiles on your board by the time the B stack comes up. But, you know, based on other goals that are out on the board and in your possession, that may not be the smartest thing for you to do, you know, if you're thinking long term. So you have to determine whether you sacrifice that in order to be more successful at achieving your other goals or not. You know, if it aligns, then go for it. And that, that's really cool. And it actually helps you kind of like play the psychology of the other players on the board or, or have them derail themselves based on this extra bit of information enticing them, and I love seeing that because I'm crazy. I just realized, <laughs> I just realized by identifying the players that aren't going for the challenges or the bonuses, it helps you figure out what their secret goal is. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you're always watching other people's boards, so like it's all open information what they're vying for and wh what they're what they're really trying to go after. So if you look at their board, you can sort of see the strategy written on the board in front of them and then, you know, potentially block that or, or counteract it. 
Mm-hmm. It's just there's there's a lot of depth to the game, and I love it. It's it's highly tactical, um, mm-hmm. but also Absolutely. strategic because it does give those initial goals right from the beginning of the game, but then gives you a bunch of variables as you're playing. Mm-hmm. And it's also fun. It's also fun, and I would even venture to say it's joyful until you lose. Mm. <laughs> At which point it's crushing. Yes. So yeah, um, I guess that pretty much covers it. I. Uh, well, we have to be fair and and discuss at least one critique that we both have. Oh yeah, yeah. There. I mean, we we mentioned a couple of critiques, like the sheer number of tiles makes it so that you can get sort of a bad game with with all of the same kind of tile that can suck. It's rare because you know playing the numbers, you're gonna get a good mix, but sometimes it'll be skewed just in the wrong direction based on what your goals are. Um, and what else did we say? Oh, we also said that when your but this isn't really a critique, but when the goals are antithetical to your the public goals are antithetical to your private goal. Um, but that's just right. a mechanic of the game. It's not really a critique. But <laughs> the one major gripe, yes. which is it's so funny that this is the major gripe because it's such a minor thing, really. But it's just it annoying. Is. It's um, super annoying. It's super annoying. The the scoring track, it's a snake setup. So you you're going left to right and then it turns around and goes right to left and then goes left to right and then right to left. Which is cool. I can understand wanting to maintain some continuous path, but when you have players all at different levels, you know, I may have 20 points and you may have 30 points and we're going different directions on the scoring track. You know, I'm going right, you're going left, or whatever. And I I can't even count the number of times. We've gone the wrong way. You know, you started moving a tile for one player, you move it correctly, then the next player, and you move it incorrectly, because, you know, it's just all mixed up. So I don't understand why it couldn't have been maybe a, a spiral sort of track. You know, you yeah. still keep it continuous... But there's no reason to ever turn around. Yeah, and I think it's something to add just very quickly is that um, there are so many interactions, especially once you get to the later stages Mm. of the game, it's really hard to backtrack um, because you can't remember how many spaces did I move for this tile, how many spaces did I move for this, what order did I go in. So it is very difficult to correct having gone in the wrong direction. And yeah. that that is one of the reasons I'm so... Uh, that the the layout of the scoring track um, is, is problematic to right. me. And I guess in general, um, the game having so many interactions, you know, my one tile is affected by the other tiles in my sit in my suburb plus the tiles in your suburb or like when you pull a tile of a particular type I have to remember that I have a tile on my board that is affected by that when you place it so the game some of these things some of these bonuses that you deserve because you purchase the tile that gives you those benefits are hard to keep track of so you can go like a good chunk of the game not realizing oh I was supposed to be taking two dollars every time you placed one of those wait so you placed one and you you placed one was that before or after I placed this Mm time damn it and and the the further problem with that is that your income and your reputation change every single round so 
the effect that you would have had two rounds ago is different from what it would be now, and you can't just go back and, like, add three points. You know, you have to think, okay, that made my income this at this time, so it would have done this and would have done this. So at that point, I mean, the, I guess the, the best thing to do is just say, oh, you missed it too yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, so, you, so if you're not paying attention, you can screw yourself in that way. But, you know, that's also really cool that there are that many interactions. So it's hard to say that that's really a negative. It's just it sort of comes with the territory of having such a, an integrated tile set. Um, so I guess I just turned that negative into a positive. Good word. Because it's a great game. Because <laughs> it's a great game. Yeah, so, so both Suburbia and Suburbia Inc., I would easily rate a 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5 for the base game and 5 out of 5 for, for an expansion, you know, as it relates to other expansions that I've, that I've played for other games. Just really phenomenal. Yeah. Both of them. It's a 5 out of 5 for me, too. Surely. So yeah, that's Suburbia Inc. Um, I'm trying to get Bianca to try out Ted Allspach's follow-up game, Castles of the Mad King Ludwig, which I also like. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be a 5 out of 5, but eventually we'll play it and bring it to the podcast. Um, for now, let's take a little break and we'll come back and talk about something a little less established. And a little more funky, a little funkier. A little funk. Gonna bring the funk. Alright, so this next game comes to us from game designer David Newton, and um, this is a game that is going into production and will be on Kickstarter starting on June 28th this year. It's a small deck builder slash worker placement game, which is really interesting to me. It's called Temp Worker Assassins, and the story behind this game is that each of the players from two to four have been hired to infiltrate Bureaucrat Castle through a five-day temporary contract, that's why they're temp workers, and uh, they need to take out as many of the employees as possible. So they're basically ninjas. They're, they're temp assassins. assassins. <laughs> they're assassins who are temp workers, um, and it's it's kind of funny. Like all the cards are are generally pretty funny. I have the box here in front of us. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who, who's ever worked in an office, I got a good laugh out of it. Yeah, I think that was what was immediately notable when I when I got the review copy here. Um, is that some of the targets that you're going after are the the customer relations devil, or the actuarial orc, or the capital insolvency goblins, the public relations troll, the payroll pirate, uh, the media giant, that's kind of funny, Uh, the complaints gorgon, health and safety halfling, insurance vampire, typing pool zombie. Um, So it kind of combines these these fantasy enemies with the workplace as a theme, which is really funny. Um, And some of the locations that you place your workers on, because like I said, this is not only a deck builder, but a worker placement game, are also funny. You're going to these different departments like the improper product recall, or 
the haunted help desk, or the terrifying tech department, the spiteful statistics department, the callous casino, the scary secondment department, the bombastic break room, the inhuman resources, criminal communications, morbid marketing department, tainted training department, etc. Okay, I think you get the point. Just to name basically all of them. <laughs> Just to name like 80% of everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, the game is pretty simple. It's just a, a, a stack of a bunch of different cards um, and five meeples per person and a, and a first player marker. And the way it works is you're starting out with a, a small deck of ten stationary cards, which are items that you have to use to make these assassinations. The thing is, when you go into Bureaucrat Castle, you're searched, so you can't bring, like, a knife. You can bring some reasonably sharp pencils, though. <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of what they're called. Um, you have things like the Shatterable Ruler, the Evil Pencil Sharpener, Beveled Edge Keyboard, Striking Stapler. What are some of the, the starting ones? The Reasonably Sharp Pencil is definitely yes. one of them. Um, the Oh, Fairly Sharp Pencil, Jagged Cover Letter, a Reasonably Blunt Pencil, which is basically worthless. But there are a lot of those. They're, they're all kind of funny. Um, and they're all things you find around an office because... You know, your search, you can't bring anything in. You have to pick things up as you go. And that's where the deck builder uh, mechanic is integrated into the theme, which is really cool. Um, the fully loaded stapler, sadistic safety scissors. There are, like, CD, compact disc shirkins, um, scare, scarring staples, whatever, all this stuff. Um, machine gun stapler. Oh, a nice-looking pencil, too. Um, the quite strong magnet. I love the descriptions. It's just like, yeah, you know, it's remarkable. I love, I love the, um, the adverbs. Yeah. <laughs> that are used. Really funny. Um, so, okay, so now that you've heard me go through, like, basically all the cards, um, the way the game works is each player has five assassins, um, or five meeples, and... There is a deck of stationary cards with four turned face up that you have the potential to draw from, and then nine departments in the bureaucrat castle that you place your workers on. And then it's basically a grid. Yeah, and then above that, you place a, these target cards, which are those characters that I mentioned earlier, each of which has a particular health number or a strength number and then a point value. So, you know, this customer relations devil requires a, an attack value of nine to defeat and you get four points at the end of the game. And what you're doing is you're building up your hand by placing your workers in each of the departments, gaining cards or drawing cards from your personal deck or drawing cards from the from the supply and then eventually attempting an assassination and at that point playing the hands in your deck discarding that hand and starting fresh with another five card and hand. all players start out on an equal playing field because you get your specific deck which has what yep. ten cards? It's a standard ten card deck to and start all, with. And all the cards are the same 
Um, so nobody gets an advantage from the beginning in that respect. Yeah, and there are five rounds of play, Monday through Friday. And uh, so five rounds of play with five placements each day or each round. And at the end, the player who has killed the highest value or like the, the greatest sum total of points for each, all their targets is the winner. Um, and it's really cool. And I think um, the fact... I don't know, I just, I really like the combination of the worker placement with the deck building, because I'm not a fan of deck building, to be honest. Um, but this really works. So, do you want to, do you want to tell some of this? Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm really going say, for it. I was starting to say, like, I have, I have things I could be doing. <laughs> um, so some of the, in Beercrack Castle, where you can place your meeples, um, so, for example, you can, in the malevolent R&D department, you can do research. And that just means that from the stationary deck, you can draw four, three, two cards, depending on what spaces are available. Um, that is that is to say spaces that are not occupied by meeples already. Yeah, on the card itself, there yeah. are four worker placement spaces available, mm -hmm. and only one assassin can be on each one. So as you're taking the better ones, it locks out other players. So if you're researching, you take four stationary cards from the deck, and you're able to choose one. And the stationary cards are the most powerful cards. They're more powerful than the base cards, is the point. So that would be the impetus to research. Um, the other the other one, <coughs> excuse me, one other one that's available is to replace all targets in play then attempt an assassination. This was really, I actually have never used this before, and then last night when we played, I had such a horrible deck that I wanted to wipe the targets because they all had high point value, high assassination values that I just couldn't reach. Um, so that uh, was useful. And then the other thing, um, we should probably talk a little bit about the terminology. So some cards allow you to draw cards and others allow you to gain cards. So I really like the draw two, gain one because it allows you to draw two from your deck. So let's say you have in your deck some really strong cards, like a plus three attack value. Um, you're going to want to draw cards so that you can get those cards in your hand and assassinate someone with a higher point value. Uh, gain one means, again, going back to the stationary deck and choosing um, one of, not the stationary deck, the, the four from the stationary de deck that are face up and choosing one of those. Um, what else? Which ones do you like in particular? Um, well, it's interesting. There are some of these departments that are a different color than others, and they're meant to be used in every game um, because they're kind of standard actions, and they're augmented by a random set of the other departments, which gives the game a lot of variety. Some of them I don't like, and I, and I would choose to like not really add to the game at all. But one of the base departments is the really spooky recycling area. It allows you to trash cards. Um, so it has four options. Gain one, trash one, gain one, trash one, draw three, trash one, and draw two, trash one. And trashing a card is, uh, it's really beneficial in a deck builder in general because what you're doing is weeding out the cards that you don't want to see coming into your hand. You don't want them taking up space in your deck. So you get rid of them, and that gives you faster and more frequent access to the strong cards that you've been picking up. So that's a good one. And I think this is one of the 
one of the few, if not the only card that actually allows you to trash cards. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> you you play through each day, making these these worker placements and building your hand, and you never play from your hand until you attempt an assassination by placing your assassin on one of the target cards, at which point you start playing your cards, and you use them to interact with each other um, and draw more from your deck throughout this assassination attempt and build up attack power that is equal to or greater than the target's defense. So some of the examples of what your stationary cards might do is it'll this one, for example, gives you a plus one attack and you draw a card. Or another one might have you discard a card, but you get two attack and then you draw a card. Um, another card might just give you two attack right off the bat. Um, one might let you draw a card after giving you plus one attack, only if it's the first one played in that assassination. This one might have you... not might. This one has you discard any number of cards in your hand and draw replacements. Another one, discard two identical cards and you get plus four attack. Discard a card and get plus three attack. Duplicate the effect of a card. I love that Discard card. a pencil and draw three cards. Um, oh, there are a few of them where up to three pencils get plus one attack. Another one says up to three discs get plus one attack. Another one says up to three staplers get plus one attack. These are the different types of cards that are going to increase your attack value. So you're playing through and you're figuring out how you're going to play these in what order and what you're going to discard in order to pull from your deck to try to reach a higher attack value and kill a higher defense and therefore higher point value target. And it's, it's, uh, it's a really good mechanic. Uh, I, I like it a lot. It's, as I said, I'm not usually a big fan of deck builders, but the combination of doing the worker placement in order to build the deck at all, you know, makes it so that you're not simply doing the same actions over and over and over. You have choice in what your action is on each turn. And also the fact that you're only playing your hand for a very specific purpose for the assassinations is interesting because there is something to build up for and a purpose for using the cards and then you start back over and it just it feels like the spirit of deck building combined with the spirit of worker placement in a really smooth and efficient way. I like that a lot. And to clarify, you literally mean you start back over, because once you either <coughs> attempt or succeed in an assassination, you have to discard all the cards in your hand and drop five new cards. So if you have 12 cards in your hand and you only used four to make an, assassi an assassination, too bad, so sad. Yeah, and, and that's another thing that you have to consider when you're making these assassination attempts. Uh, you know, I might want to play it safe just to make sure I kill the target, and I'll go for a target with you know, a value of eight, but I'll play some cards and suddenly I'll, I'll play a card that has me draw from my deck and now I'll get cards that are way more powerful than the average that I was considering in my deck. Mm -hmm. I get like all my best cards and now I have attack value worth like 14 and I just went for a 10 
Target, and I'm like, oh, damn. But then you still have to throw those away. Right. So, so there's a lot of uh, scrutiny of your own deck as you're playing. You have to kind of remember what's in there and what's coming up. I mean, which is which is generally something you have to do in deck builders, but but this one feels like you cycle through your deck very quickly, um, and I like it. I like it a lot. I like it too. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I've been um, impressed with how you have to really plan your deck. Uh, I don't think the first few times I played it, I was really paying that much attention to the cards I had in my deck. And then last night, actually, it was the first time that I really built a terrible deck because I had, I think, five or six of my high-powered attacks would discard a card. So it was they were interacting in a way that I pretty much couldn't get attack power unless I was discarding already high attack cards. Um, so, Which is not necessarily the worst thing that could happen. As long as, I mean, you have something to discard. It right, just feels you, really terrible to discard But if you have two plus threes and you can't use one of them unless you discard the other one, you're only getting plus three, not plus six. Yeah. So that... That was just, like, a terrible move on my part. Um, criticisms of the game, of which I have some. Uh, I feel like the stationary deck could use a little bit of refinement. I feel like there isn't a huge variety of cards. Like, what I read you is not everything, but it kind of feels like that's everything. Um, I, I would like to see a little bit more variety and diversity in the cards and the deck actions, like during the assassinations, what you're doing, you know, ways to build attack, things things you can do to pull cards from your deck, or or just, I don't know, just in general, I'd like to see, a, I'd like each assassination to not feel so much the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that they are really, that the designers are really good at. They've really created a theme where um, they're very creative in how they uh, describe everything. So I think more variety in the cards just gives them another opportunity to create really funny, uh, interesting, yeah. temp worker-esque actions. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that they can, they can definitely improve, improve upon that. It seems like David Newton does know what he's doing and, and can certainly figure out a way to get rid of that feeling that I'm having while while playing my assassinations just by diversifying these cards or or you know doing something to to make them interact a little bit more um, interestingly and I guess the same thing goes for some of the departments there are some of the departments that like like I said before I just I just don't really think I would want to include some of them are cool in that this one has two spaces and uh, each one lets you return a card from your discard pile to your hand, but if you occupy both spaces, you get a bonus, so you get to draw two. Or another one, if you occupy both spaces, an opponent discards two. And I really like those. Um, some of the others are not necessarily as interesting, so having them out on the board just kind of feels like a, a wasted, empty space. But, I mean, you can, if you don't like one, you can keep it off. That's something that sort of relates to the criticism that I talked about with you. Uh, I wish, because of that, I wish that there was a mechanic in the game, and I, I think this could be instituted 
very easily, a mechanic in the game where you swap out some of the departments periodically. Because after, you know, if it's the same cards every week or every day rather it gets a little bit repetitive and I don't know about you but mm -hmm. for me I have like my standard cards that I feel like are the best and then I'm using them over and over again and the lack of variation or change in the card doesn't really doesn't really um, motivate me to do anything differently yeah that's that's actually really good like if if after Monday you replace the first two cards with the next two randomly pulled out of the department deck and then after Tuesday's over, you replace the next two cards. That would be interesting, and also it would it would be something to throw players off as the game goes along mm -hmm. and makes you have to reconsider your strategy. There's one card that we literally placed on every single time, <clears throat> every day. Uh, it's I think it's if you place an assassin here, you get to take it back, or you do something and take it yeah, back. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So like. Basically, every day we would place there, unless we were the first player trying to get an assassination, and thereby earn the bonus for that day, which is another mechanic. Um, each day, there is a the Monday bulletin, the Tuesday bulletin, etc. If you're the first player to successfully achieve an assassination on that day, you take that card, and it usually adds like one or two or three attack. Um, you put that into your discard pile and it gets shuffled into your deck. So there is that reward for acting quickly each day and getting the first first blood out there. Right. That's um, true. What else? Uh, it was a fun game, for sure. It would be nice if players, or sometimes I believe this, I don't know that I, if I had to make a yes or no statement that I would go with this, um, but sometimes I wish I had more meeples, and this relates to having to discard your cards after every assassination. So if I assassinate someone with my third meeple and I only have two more, there's a good chance that I'm not going to have a strong enough hand to attempt an assassination at an early stage in the next the next day. And so it can sort of cripple you in that way. Um, and sometimes I do I do wish that we had more meeples. Mm. So yeah, you're saying with the number of assassins that you have, it's not as easy to build up your deck and make a lot of assassinations. Right. So if we had six meeples, for example, I could draw two extra. I could draw two cards twice, for example, rather than once. I see that. Or something of that nature. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like you're you're in a development phase versus. Um, an achievement, like where you're actually mm -hmm. achieving some sort of goal phase, so That's you true. find it's like a little slow for a bit, and then you make an assassination, and like it, it pays off, but it's a little bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, maybe you still feel like you you didn't have to waste that many of your assassins building up to that point, mm -hmm. but that all comes back to building your deck in a good way, picking the right cards from the stationary deck. Yeah, I mean that ties into the same the trashing same idea, your trashing your cards, but having more meeples I think would allow you to hone your deck a lot more. Mm -hmm. Because I personally I don't really like spending a meeple to trash a card. It just seems it seems like a waste of a turn for me. Right. Um so having more meeples would allow me to hone my deck much more easily. Well, maybe not much more easily, but it would give me more opportunity to do that. Yeah. But overall, um I do like Temp Worker Assassins. This copy we have um the card quality 
is obviously preliminary, but I, I would love to see this. I would love to see this game further developed, maybe refined in terms of the stationary cards, refined in terms of the um, department cards, and obviously uh, have uh, improved components in the the final box version. I'd love to see this funded. Um, like I said, it's it's going on Kickstarter uh, June twenty eighth. Um, we're gonna have a link to that on the site. We'll definitely post that as uh, an article to show you where to go for that when it comes up. But yeah, certainly worth taking a look, especially if you're a fan of both deck builders and worker placement, or even if, like me, you're not so much into deck building and you want to find an interesting way to play a, a deck builder in a different way. I think this is really cool. And, I mean, if you appreciate a little bit of humor, this this game definitely has it. It's it's really, it's funny. And uh, I like it. Um, I don't know that we necessarily want to score it at this point, because, you know, it is still in development. But at, yeah. but at this point, it's definitely positive. Um, I would score it somewhere in the, in the threes, uh, which is good. I mean, like... At we stage, we yeah we give great. we give our ratings on a one to five scale or a zero to five scale even there is technically a a zero built in that is not obvious but if a game like absolutely is abysmal atrocious um like if it's bad <laughs> for your health we'll give it a zero but yeah three is among the positive ratings and and this one's definitely a a positive play experience and I really enjoyed it. It's very, it's lighthearted, it's relatively fast, it's something that doesn't require a ton of thinking, like Suburbia, so in that way I like that it's a lighthearted, easy, fun game. Yeah, nice small box, I like that, mm-hmm. and it plays fairly quickly. Um, we actually took this on a camping trip and played it, which was pretty cool, uh, just on a small, in a very small space. It's it's an interesting setup, you lay out kind of a board with the cards, and it just it's it's really smooth like I don't know something about the layout of the cards the way that it's designated in the rule book kind of kind of um, tickles my obsessive compulsive <laughs> desire to arrange things in nice patterns um, in <laughs> so nice if you rows, have that in neat yeah if, if you have that going on with your weird brain uh, this would also be a good game to look at. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's Temp Worker Assassins, um, and it comes to you from designer David Newton and artist Adam Bolton. I guess we didn't really talk about the art. The art is also quite cheeky. Um, it Ooh, it fits. Word. It really does suit the the humor. Uh, it really just goes right hand in hand. It's simple. It's like simple like line. I don't know how would you it yeah, it's just simple illustrations, but you know, it's it's cute. But they're I'm, they're I'm devilish illustrations. They're simple but evil. Simple but devilish. Like, yeah, especially the um the targets are really cool. I kind of wish I mean I mean this is just my personal preference. I kind of wish that the stationary deck, some of the or all of the uh, different um weapons, so to speak, were had colors like the um like the target, uh, like the deck. targets, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think that's a personal preference, and it could also be very distracting, and probably, I would assume, up manufacturing costs. Maybe. Ink is expensive. Hmm. True. 
Yeah, but do, I, no, I agree with you, though. I think there there is something that could be done to jazz up the stationary cards for sure. I don't like the font, but that's that's just a totally personal preference. Okay, I see that. It's totally <laughs> arbitrary and totally subjective. Cool. So yeah, that's uh, that's Tempered Assassins. So remember, June twenty eighth, that's going to be on Kickstarter. We'll try to give you an update on that when it happens. Um, from David Newton and uh, art by Adam Bolton. And that's going to do it for another Gamer Node show. Uh, thanks for listening. You can always check out our reviews and feature articles on GamerNode.com. Follow us for news on Facebook.com slash GamerNode and Twitter.com slash GamerNode. And keep it here on iTunes and Stitcher. Rate us, review us. It'll really help. Thanks a lot for listening. Until next time, I'm Eddie Anzato. And I'm Bianca Figueroa Santana. Thanks for listening. Catch you later. Bye. <laughs>